0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Amen. Thank you. You know, Pastor comes to my office from time to time, and normally he wants me to handle an email or plan a mission trip, and sometimes I end up standing in the middle of a submarine in front of everyone preaching, which I thought was what he was supposed to do, but thank you for this opportunity, Pastor. So this morning I'm going to kind of walk through a a series of thoughts that I've been chewing on for quite some time. Hopefully y'all will be able to track with me and I can make sense of all this by the end. Um, So Webster Dictionary has the meaning for merge. When I look up merge in... The dictionary, it says to cause two or more things to come together and become one thing, to join or unite one thing with another. An alternate meaning to to change into or become part of something else in a very gradual way. Hannah and I live in town. Many of you don't know where we live. And so I drive out to to Rosemont just about every day. And as I pass Troop High past the interstate, the four-lane highway turns into a two-lane. Many of y'all that travel this road might know where I'm going with this. There's three options at that point. There's signs that say lane ends merge right. So the first option is for the people that are in the left lane to gradually find their way into the right lane so that traffic might progress calmly and safely ahead. The second option, which is what most people take, is to slam on the gas in order to pass all of the people that are in the correct lane so that you might be first. And the even more tragic option is those who continue in the incorrect lane without any regard to the people in the proper lane, until which point there is only one lane and there are two cars in it. (laughs) Now, I travel all over the world. We're not the only people that have traffic problems. We go to Guatemala. Anybody ever been to Guatemala? Okay, amen. Two-lane roads can easily be five-lane roads at any point when people are passing. India is even worse. Um, the only traffic laws in India is the first one to get their nose in wins. Everybody else, put on your brakes. So, but in the in the USA, the grand country that we live in, there are easy rules that we can follow. Right? There's there's a way that everything could flow really well, but we choose sometimes not to follow them. And when we do that, it can be dangerous. I'm convinced. I'm just convinced. One day, I'm going to be. I'm going to witness a, a bad wreck up there. Um, but let's be honest, for us to yield to others is not always easy, right? For us to give up the chance to be first, to actually be slow, there's a long way from there all the way here that I'm not going to get to pass. And so I have to decide whether I'm going to let them go on around or not. And it's hard for us to, d- to determine that we're going to yield because we're driven people, right? We're, 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 we're taught we want to be first. We want to be ahead. We want to get ahead. Um, some of y'all may have heard about the transcript between a, a Navy ship and, and the Canadian authorities. Um, the U.S. ship says, please divert your course five degrees to the south to, divert, to avoid a collision. The Canadian replies, I recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to, divert, to avoid a collision. The U.S. ship says, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. You divert your course. Canadian replies, no, I, again, I say you divert your course. The U.S. ship gets a little more aggressive. I'm the commander of an aircraft carrier of the U.S. Navy warship. You divert your course now. The Canadian authority replies, this is a lighthouse. It's your call. We're kind of slow to yield our rights, aren't we? If we're just real honest, our flesh is still alive and well on the inside. But how do we work that out as believers? How do, how do we understand what the Bible says about yielding our rights? We read in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any uh, affection or sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. In humility count other people more important than yourselves. He goes on in this passage, have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're we're commanded here to have this mind among us to be like Christ. And the example that Christ gave us by emptying himself, by becoming a man, by being obedient to the Father to the point of death. And all for whom? For others. And and it's it's an amazing uh, example for us. You see, we see here an appeal for us to yield our lives based solely on what we have in Christ. He taught us... So much about himself and and we're taught because of of all that Christ has done on our behalf that that we can defer we can Yield for the sake of others Now this is countercultural. This is definitely against our flesh This is against my flesh nature that 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 I would give up my rights Okay, we we live in a a world where we talk a lot about our rights and, and we won't get into All our country and what they think they have the right to do these days but but, but somewhere along the way, we've got to determine what's our rights and what are His rights in our life. If we're going to live in the fullness of the Spirit of God, we've got to overcome the flesh and live as we've been instructed to as children of His. Ephesians 4, verse 2 helps us. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul describes himself as a, as a prisoner of the Lord. I am confined by what the Lord has given me, and I'm going to walk worthy of that. That cuts out a whole lot. In my life, that cuts out a whole lot of opportunity to make decisions that don't work out well. He goes on to say that we are to bear with one another in love. Almost like he knew that living out the Christian life was going to be hard. He gives us instructions that we are going to have to bear with each other. We're going to have to do that in love. But where does that come from? Because we know that dealing with people can be hard, right? Dealing with church people can be hard. Dealing with family can be hard. Dealing at work can be difficult and yet we are to bear with one another with all humility and gentleness and patience. The concept here and different translations use words like deferring or showing forbearance, um, giving up in order for others to excel. We know the the Lord has placed all of us in the body of Christ and and he's given us all different gifts and, and we're all very different. Yet in Galatians 5 we're told through love that we are to serve one another. So cumulatively, all of these things are just kind of adding up and, and they're causing me to realize that sometimes I'm breezing through life and it's all about me. And over and over and over in Scripture, we're being shown that we are to yield. We are to bear with others. We are to serve others. And that's harder to do than it sounds yeah yeah we know we're supposed to be nice to each other we know we're supposed to be polite to each other for the most part we do that all the time right we come to church and everybody's like hey how are you and we're all very polite to each other's faces but this goes so much deeper the Lord really expects us to live this out and I'm going to be honest if we're going to do this it's going to cost us something and that's not always easy for us to yield or to give up But that sacrifice is worth it. Romans 14, we see Paul addressing a a discussion about foods that were right to eat or foods that were unclean to eat. And he's kind of talking through some claim that they shouldn't eat these things and some say they should. And Paul calls for them to yield to the other. In other words, even though you find no fault in eating these foods, choose not to eat them for the sake of your brother. Don't be a stumbling block, it's not worth worth it. Give up your right for their good. Romans 14. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Now we could camp out all day here about yielding our rights and our failure to yield our rights. But I want to go a little bit further because the, the Bible addresses other words that are going to confirm this and add on to this and actually make this even more difficult. And the next one is the word submit. Webster defines that as to stop trying or fight or resist something, to agree to do or accept something that you have been resisting or opposing. God's word clearly tells us that we are to submit to him. Husbands often quote Ephesians chapter 5. I didn't think Hannah was going to be in here, but I'm afraid she slipped in. Um, I'll be careful and walk gently here. Um, Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the Lord submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The Lord places us under authority and and he teaches us to submit to others. Women are called to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. Now before all the women in the room get too riled up, I know the rest of this passage. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So ladies, how hard is it for you to submit to your husbands? That was a lot quieter than I expected. (laughs) Why do you think the Lord has you to do this? Over the summer, I'm going to be officiating two weddings for students that were in my student ministry when I was a a youth pastor years ago. And there's a a section of the ceremony that we talk about this because I believe that God truly desires for this to work in marriages. This is a short section out out of the ceremony that I'll be doing next month. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that husband and wife are to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. The wife is to submit to the husband as to the Lord, and the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. The mature woman recognizes that submission is God's will for her, and obedience to this is no more a sign of weakness in her than it was in Jesus when he came to earth to submit to the will of God the Father. The mature man recognizes that his rank of leadership is given to him by God, and it is not chosen or earned by superior intelligence, virtue, or strength. Now that addresses the concern, right? Because when when when, the, when we get right down to it, our, our resistance against submission is 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 desiring not to be weak and not to preferring not to give our control to another. And yet God has designed that that would be the way that we live. Colossians three addresses husbands and wives as well, but also goes on to address children. And masters, Colossians three, beginning in verse eighteen, wives submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Fathers do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not in way of eye service or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now as parents, we can easily see that it's best for our children to submit. We obviously have their best interest at heart. We, we clearly have more knowledge and experience and can make wiser choices for them than they would make on their own And the Lord has, in fact, entrusted us to raise them. But let me be clear. Husbands who are walking with the Lord and are married to wives who are walking with the Lord have the same best interest in mind for each other. Any husband who loves Christ and is abiding in that love will make decisions that are completely best for her. And most likely will involve him yielding some of his rights and desires in order for her to prosper. So why does the Lord teach us to submit? Why is he giving us this to do? I think the answer to why he desires for us to learn to yield and to submit to one another is that it will condition to teach us to somehow submit to him. Or is it vice versa? Because we have learned to submit to God the Father, we are best able to obey the commands on our life to submit to others as well. You see, whenever we come to the place to where the Father and we've submitted to Him in all areas, then we're going to be able to work out all of the other things that He's lined out for us so much easier. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7 reads, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, under His word, under His rule, and submit to Him. That is our goal, that we will somehow find it in ourselves to submit to the Lord in all things. But if we're honest today, we struggle with that, don't we? We know what God's Word teaches on so many things. We, we, we know how we're supposed to live, yet we fail to defer our rights. We fail to yield and to give up our desires and to trust Him and His desires for us. Even though we know He desires what's best for us. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, yet fools despise wisdom and instruction. We should have a healthy fear of the Lord that causes us to to crave wisdom, that would cause us to allow him to to speak into our lives so that we would willingly submit and yield to his plan for us. I go back to Psalm 119 anytime that I I begin having these trains of thoughts because it's all about how important the Word of God is for us and how much I need the Word of God. Many of you have heard, but I, I still remember the day that David Platt was preaching to a youth camp in Memphis, Tennessee and he began to recite Psalm 119 from memory. 176 verses, one by one by one, without never looking down at the Word of God. And I was blown away that he had memorized such a large chunk of Scripture. And I remember thinking, what does David have that I don't have? Now, some would say what he has is a photographic memory, and and there may be some truth to that. But I would argue that the more likely is that he had a hunger and thirst to hear from the Lord and to hide God's word in his heart that was higher than mine. And when we choose to submit to the Lord, when we yield our lives to him, things begin to work themselves out. And we're warned here that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. When I travel, a lot of times I get very introspective. I I don't know if it's because I'm out of the routine. I'm not in the office. I'm not looking at emails and text messages. I don't have the responsibilities day in and day out. That, or the fact that I'm on an airplane for 16 hours at a time, and and I just I'm I'm left there just with my thoughts. But on this last trip, when I was gone to Uganda, coming and going, I spent a lot of time dwelling on marriage. And to be honest, I, I spent a lot of time dwelling on my marriage. And as I sat and thought about that, I'll I'll just be honest. There are times that I feel like Hannah doesn't always submit to my leadership at home. But there's so many more times that, that I fail to love her like Christ loved the church. And I sat on the plane for hours wrestling through those two things. Because I'm like, why is it like this? I know that God desires for us to have this remarkable marriage all the time. And we have a great marriage. Okay, where is she at? I love you, baby. (laughs) But there's times that it's not perfect, right? Because for us to operate our home like that, both of us have to yield to each other. Or better yet, both of us have to yield to the Lord. The truth be told, when I'm walking with the Lord, when I'm cherishing, it's easy for me to cherish my bride. When I'm truly walking with him, it's very easy. And Hannah would tell you that when she is walking with the Lord the way she's supposed to, it's easier for her to submit to my leadership as well. In fact, when we choose to do things God's way, it begins a snowball effect that, that cumulatively makes things remarkable. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. But the opposite of that is also true. What happens when we fail to submit to God? What happens when we fail to walk with Him and to abide with Him and to spend time in His Word? You see, it's a slippery slope. Philippians 3 tells us, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now even with tears walk as enemies... Of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul urges those in Philippi to, to, to keep their eyes on Christ, and he explained that so many have wandered away and started thinking that life is all about themselves. He says in in verse 19, their God is their belly, meaning their decisions are based on their appetite and that is their flesh. They want to do whatever makes them happy and their minds have become consumed with earthly things. In verse 20, he balances that with how we should live, remembering that we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven and one day our Savior is going to return for us and that is where we got to keep our eyes focused. It's that it's all about me mentality. It's the American dream of, of getting ahead and, and always being satisfied that, that's tripping us up. You see, we get lost in seeking our pleasure and the desires that we have. And we fail to even notice that we've missed out on all that the Lord has for us. If we desire to yield and to submit to the Lord, we're also going to have to surrender to him. Webster defines surrender to agree or to stop fighting, hiding, and resisting because you know that you will not win or succeed. To give the control or use of something to someone else. Romans 12 is a passage of scripture that we quote often, but it, but it, it lines out how we are to surrender to the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is his good and perfect and acceptable will. See, He tells us that we're to be a living sacrifice, literally to present our body before the Lord and say, my body is not my own, I'm going to live for you, here I am. To, to seek out His will and renew our minds so that we will have the mind of Christ and we'll be able to know His will so that we could surrender to that. But it's more than just surrendering because a, another concept that I've been chewing on is if we're going to surrender, we have to lose our identity. We're going to have to lose who we are if we're going to do these things that he's calling us to do. Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Listen to Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul had come to that place to where he said it's not about me anymore. It's not even my life anymore. I'm living everything that I'm doing. I'm now doing in submission to the father. And for his glory. And when we can get to that place to where we can lose ourselves. We'll be able to defer our rights. And surrender for the sake of the kingdom. And live the way he's called us to live. And just to add one more nail to the argument today. John 3 verse 30. He must increase and I must decrease. And I stand before you today telling you all of these things because God's been wearing me out over these for the, a month now. Because I haven't arrived. Because I'm still figuring out how it is that I'm going to yield, how it is that I can submit to Him, how it is that I can surrender, how willing am I to lose my identity. But Jesus himself said that we had to deny ourselves, right? Matthew chapter 16, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall I, a man give in return for his soul we have all heard that we should take up our cross and follow him but what does that look like what does that look like for me today what does that look like for you today because God does expect us Jesus called us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross the really convicting part of this passage for me was verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see what he's saying there? Is whoever lives his life for himself, you're, you're, you're not going to win. But if you'll lose your life, if you'll say like Paul, my life is not my own. I give you my all and I will do things your way. I'll trust you, Lord, that you have what's best for me. And I want that if we can get to that place then we're going to find out all that he has Jesus says that he's come to give us life and to give it abundantly we've got to embrace that and we've got to look for that Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The real life that we're seeking, the joy that we're seeking, the fulfillment that we so desire is found when we are lost in him and his plans for us. So this week when I was preparing this and and working through all of these things, I came across a video. And we're going to show it here in just a second. This is Paul David Tripp. Some of you might remember him. He came to our D6 conference. And he's going to talk about just one slither of an application of what this might look like. There are so many different areas. and, And I pray that the Spirit will have worked individually in each of your lives. But this is one that will affect us. So if you'll play this video, we will conclude in just a second. That's all right. It didn't buffer, so he's not going to be able to finish that. We'll just move on. So the rest of what he would have said, had he had the time to talk, and he would have said it better than me. It's not going to make it. Technology. Um, The premise of what he was bringing up was, is that we're supposed to be living this out. Living this out in our neighborhoods and living this out with the people that we come into contact with every single day. And he made a remarkable argument, which I hate you're not going to be able to hear. But his argument was this. That the reality is, is that we have already made so much time for the things that we need. We make time for our work so that we can have the lifestyle we want. We make time for fitness. We make time for friends, the important friends that we want to have around us. And yet at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, we've filled our schedules up to the point that we don't have any time left to share this great joy that we have in Christ with others. And... Just to tie this in just a little bit to where we're heading as a church, next month we have Mission LaGrange. Next month our church is purposely going to shut down all activities for the week and go out into the community. And we're begging everyone to, to find a way to begin now praying. Who is it that you can run into for the sake of Christ and share all that we have in Him? But to be honest, none of those things are going to happen. And, and you can come and, and, and be involved and, and miss the point if you haven't come to the place of surrender. And so this morning, as we close, we're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to sing. And we're going to ask you just to ask the Lord, what area of my life have I not yet surrendered? What is it that I haven't let go of? How, how is it that I'm not yielding to the Lord? What do I need to do in order to submit to you in a better way? So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to stand and sing. And the altar will be open. If you want to come and pray, if you want to talk to Adam, he'll be down here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word and the promises of your word. And the the truth that we have commands to live out. God, we, we don't embrace denying ourselves and it's hard for us to submit and to surrender but God we know that you've called us to live humbly. Humbly not that we are worthless. Humble because we were unworthy to be receive the grace that we found in Christ. And God I pray today that your spirit would move in hearts in this room. And God that you would call us Call us back to yourself and help us to live out the Christian life the way that you've intended it to be. And God, whatever it is that we're holding on to or whatever it is that's a hindrance from us, giving everything that we have in order to walk with you, I pray that today we would lay that down. Because you sent the great example of your son to the cross in order to draw us to yourself and to forgive us of everything that we didn't deserve. God, I pray that you would allow us to do the same. God, that you would allow us to lay down our very identities, all of our dreams and aspirations, all of our plans, and say, God, my plan is to live for you all the days of my life. Lead me. God, if there's anyone in this room that hasn't ever come to Christ, that hasn't ever experienced forgiveness, God, I pray today that you would impress upon them the opportunity they have to be forgiven and to start new. Lord, have freedom in this room. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, the altar's open. Let's sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.